If you have your Bible, open it, please, to Titus chapter 2. There are some years we've just kept on going with our normal book study when we get to Mother's Day and others that we've done something different. And as I prayed through it, I felt the Lord leading me to this passage, really just three verses here in Titus 2. But for any who may not be familiar, it might have been a while since you've looked at this book of Titus. The key verse is in chapter 1. This is 1-5. For this reason I, Paul's writing to Titus, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So Paul's giving instructions to Titus on how to set things in order. What should the church look like? What should the church, and I don't, I don't mean a building, I think you all understand that, the church is a group of people part of the body of Christ, meeting together in a given geographic location. A group of baptized believers meeting together. And he's saying, this is what that should look like. On the Isle of Crete, in every city, you need to find disciple elders, appoint them as I commanded you. So this book describes what Titus and the elders he appointed were supposed to be and do. And you're going to hear me say that a lot today. Either what we're supposed to be or what we're supposed to do in order for the church in Crete to function as God intended. And as you read through the book, you'll find many references to both teaching and behavior. So be on the lookout for that. I'm going to read the larger context. I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 10 here in Titus 2. And hopefully you've had a chance to find that. Would you stand please? And I'm going to read Titus 2, 1 through 10. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to leave their husbands, to love their husbands. That would be better, wouldn't it? I'm going to start verse 4 again. I'm going to start verse 4 again. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Let's pray together, please. Our Father, we're grateful for your word. We know it is your word. And we pray that we would treat it that way today. We would recognize it that way. 
But even as the church in Thessalonica heard Paul preach, they recognized the word of God as the word of God. So Lord, may we see you in your word. May we see your authority in your word this morning. I pray that you would empower me as I teach this passage. That you would give me clarity of thought and tongue. That you would give us all ears to hear what you have for us. This is your word. It is given for our edification, that it would build us up, that it would make us more like Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our Ironmen group studied, these are called the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. We worked through these last fall. And when we got to chapter 2, what really stood out to me was the different groups of people, the various demographic groups, and specifically what Paul instructed Titus to teach in order to disciple each of these groups. So here are the groups. This is an outline. You don't need to write this down. But just to give you a lay of the land for what I read for you, this is the outline of these 10 verses. He starts off talking to Titus in verse 1. He then talks to the older men in verse 2, followed by the older women in verse 3, the young women in verses 4 and 5, the young men in verse 6, back to Titus in verses 7 and 8, and then proceeds to talk about servants. So anytime we read servants in the New Testament, generally the the closest application we have would be employer-employee relationships in our modern day. But that's kind of the way it is presented And as you consider those groups, I'm going to bring in one other passage that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Ephesians 4.12 says that my job, my job description is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, as I attempt to do that in God's power by his grace, I come to a passage like this, and I'd like you to notice with me that there's one demographic that I, as a teaching elder, am not directly responsible for. Did you catch it as we read through? I am supposed to, he was instructing Titus, and I'm taking this since this is a pastoral epistle, how you are supposed to lead the church as an elder. I'm applying this to myself as well. So he's writing to Titus, that would apply to me. I am supposed to teach the older men, because that's what Titus was supposed to do. Teach the older men. Here's what you're supposed to teach them. Teach the older women. But do you see it there when we get to verses 4 and 5? Who's supposed to teach the younger women? The older women. Okay, so I'm not saying I'm not responsible for the younger women in the church. I'm saying I'm not directly responsible. Because in my job of equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, I'm supposed to equip these groups. And in this particular case, this one demographic, we have the young women are supposed to be taught by the older women. Then we had the young men and even the servants. I'm responsible for teaching about employer-employee relationships. This is the way God designed for the church to build up that group in particular. The younger women are supposed to be taught by the older women. Now, I read the 10 verses for context, but I also wanted you to understand how these three verses apply to the larger context. So the main ideas for today are actually going to come, the first one, from the surrounding verses. Verses 1, 7, and 10. 
and we'll look at those in just a minute. But there we read that our beliefs determine our behavior. What I think, what I believe, what I believe about God, what I believe about the world around me, what I believe about myself will determine how I act. Our beliefs determine our behavior. And then our behavior determines how the unsaved world around us sees our beliefs. The way we live influences how they think about our God, about the church, about the Bible. So looking at those three verses, 1, 7, and 10, there is an emphasis on doctrine. So it's good for us to know what doctrine is. If we're going to talk about it, we better know what it is. Doctrine simply means teaching. Someone described it as the content of our faith. So let's look at those three verses again. Verse 1 starts out, But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Sound doctrine there literally means healthy teaching. Teaching that causes behavior to match belief. Verse 7 speaks again of doctrine. In doctrine, showing integrity. What's integrity? It's honesty. It's consistency. So our doctrine should show integrity, honesty, reverence, incorruptibility. Our doctrine, our beliefs, should play out in our thoughts and actions. And when we get to verse 10, it says that they may adorn the doctrine, there's that word again, of God our Savior in all things. So to make beautiful the teaching of our Savior, that our words and deeds would make others have a positive view of Christ. Does that make sense? That we would adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Someone said it this way, how, how you believe reflects what you believe. How you believe reflects what you believe. And our goal then is not to allow what we say and what we do to have a negative impact on the gospel, to have that give a negative idea of who our God is and what he has told us to do, how he has called us to live. So let's work through these three verses. We're going to begin at verse 3. And there's a key word I would like to us, us to keep in mind in this section. And the key word is this. It's training. Training. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, in our family, my favorite story about training is one of our kids who shall remain nameless. But back when we lived in Maryland, we were at another couple's house, and he was in the military. He was in the Army. So we were kind of sitting in the middle of the room at a table finishing supper, and, and the, the kids were playing. And he was explaining that he had just done another qualification for jumping out of airplanes as a paratrooper. And that's pretty cool. We're hearing about him jumping out of airplanes, having this conversation about his training for that. And one of our kids walked across the room, didn't know that one was listening, and said, I do potty training. So training has different meaning for other people. Sometimes it means potty training. Sometimes it means jumping out of airplanes. In our case, it means that our life is being conformed to Christlikeness. It's that we are going to help others become more like Jesus. And in this immediate context, the instruction is from the older women to the younger women. And our word in verse 4 is where we have it, is admonish in the New King James that I'm reading. But the idea is to train. The older women are to train 
the younger women. And you don't need to remember this, but the Greek word here is sophronizo. And looking at a, a Strong's Concordance, the definition I found for that is to restore someone to his senses, like to get you back in your mi right mind. That's part of this word for train. To moderate, to control, to curb, to disciple, to hold someone to his duty, to hold someone accountable, to admonish, to exhort earnestly. One of my study Bibles added this definition, to give instruction in wise behavior and good judgment. To give instruction in wise behavior and good judgment. So as we study verse 3, there are some things that the older women are supposed to be, and there are some things that the older women are supposed to do. And that's what that table is. That'll be up there. Just a phrase at a time. Is it something that she is supposed to be or something that she's supposed to do? Here's the verse again. Verse 3. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. First three words, the older women. So we need to know who that group is. And I'm not going to tell you if you're in that group, okay? I, I'm, I'm staying away from that today. I've been telling my family all week, please pray for me because the passage that God has laid on my heart starts off talking about older women and then talks about homemaking uh, and then talks about obeying your husband. So dicey topics this morning. But we're going to see what the Lord has for us because it's his word. I'm just attempting to teach it as he has it. Um, some scholars say, well, this is the age of 60, and where they're getting that is from back in 1 Timothy, there are the instructions to who should be included in the widows, and they had to be at least 60 years of age. Okay. I uh, heard another pastor say, well, this is around 40. Okay. Yeah, that hurts some of our feelings, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> that pastor wasn't popular. Okay. I don't really want to think of it in terms of age. I don't really want to put a number on it. But I do want us to think of it in terms of stage of life. Because sometimes the age and the stage can be different. Again, I'm going to reference something in Maryland. We, ha we have a friend, a couple, who are there who are pretty much our age. But their children, they have two children, and their children are older. So... At the same age we are, around 47, their second one went to college this year, and they became empty nesters at 47. I did the math. Lord willing, we're going to become empty nesters at 56. So there, there can be a range, in this case, like a nine-year difference. But when we look at this, older women are, in our modern terminology, empty nesters. They have fulfilled their obligations in the childbearing and child-rearing years. Those responsibilities are in the past. That makes them, and you can apply the same thing to older men in the previous verse, verse 2. So the responsibilities of having children in the home are in the rearview mirror. That's what we're saying here. This would also include widows or women who've never been married would be included in older women. 
Warren Wiersbe wrote that one of the strongest forces for spiritual ministry in the local church lies with older believers, men and women. Those who are retired often have more time for service. Many older saints know how to pray, how to teach the word, how to counsel, how to visit, how to troubleshoot, how to build up the church in general. Why? Because they have experience. They have wisdom from living more of life. So therefore, we're defining younger women. We haven't actually gotten to that phrase yet, but we're, we're going to define them as women of childbearing and childrearing age, whether or not they're married. But now I want to look at the fourth word. The older women, likewise. And by the way, we're not going to go every word at a time. Don't get nervous. But the older women, likewise. What does that mean? That means as before. So it seems that the older women are to be, like the older men, sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. That's from the previous verse. So as the men are supposed to be this way, in the same way, the women are supposed to be, there's probably some overlap there, they need to be that way, but here are the specific things that the Holy Spirit is guiding Paul to write to Titus for our benefit, how the older women should be and what they should do. And here's the first one. You notice in that chart there, most of them are about who they are to be rather than what they are to do. First one is reverent in behavior. One paraphrase has it this way. Live in a way that honors God. That's what reverent behavior means. To live their lives in a way that shows they're dedicated to God. And that word behavior is both specific and broad in, in the same way. It, it, it's, it can include what a person wears, how a person carries him or herself. In this case, we're talking about ladies, so how are they dressed? How do they look? Their demeanor, their countenance. Is it reverent? Is it godly? Is it showing that that lady is dedicated to God? Not slanderers. One translation says malicious gossips. Now, I'll just stop there for a second. The, the church talk that we did, I think it was January or February, when we talked about gossip and slander, that has had me thinking a lot. I don't know about the others of you who were there, but filtering through, am I saying something, am I, I repeating something that isn't going to build up the person? Or... Is it possible it's untrue? I better not repeat it. If it. Is it going to hurt someone else? Better not repeat it. And that's spoken words and social media and everything else. So here we have not slanders. They are not malicious gossips. Do you know what the underlying Greek word here is? It's the one that is usually translated devil. Because this is the name of Satan, the accuser, like we read in Revelation, the accuser of the brethren. That's this word. It, it's saying that the older women should not be like Satan. The older women should not be like the devil, is our English word, the false accuser. Someone said, slander is a tool the devil uses to divide and destroy God's people. When Christians speak evil of their spiritual brothers and sisters, they participate in Satan's work. If you are in the stage of life that you're an older woman, how are you using your tongue? Or what are you writing? If it's in an email or on 
social media or in a text. Next phrase, not given to much wine, or as one translation has it, not enslaved to much wine. Because it seems, it just inferring from, from what Paul is writing here, that in that culture on the Isle of Crete at that time, probably these things went together. And some of the older women there were drinking and gossiping and gossiping and drinking. And he's saying that shouldn't characterize the older women of your congregations. Teachers of good things. And we start to get into some of these words that it almost seems like Paul's making up words. Because several of these words in this passage, the, the Greek words, don't appear anywhere else in Scripture. But it's teachers of good things. Teaching what is good. Someone who has grown in her faith, experienced the Christian life, often they make great teachers because they have experience to draw from. And by the way, we're not talking about getting up in front of everybody and speaking and and standing behind, okay, I have my notes here. No, this is more like on-the-job training. This is more like life-on-life discipleship. That's what we're talking about here as far as teaching. Teaching what? What should I teach? Good things. Excellent things. Philippians 4, 8 kind of things. Things that are true, honest, just, praiseworthy, of good report. The Word of God itself is good and true. With this next phrase, the focus shifts from who the older women are supposed to be to what the older women are supposed to do. And what they're supposed to do is train the young women in what they're supposed to be and do. So we're in verse 4, and verse 4 and 5 go together. That they, that is the older women, admonish or train the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So coming back to this word admonish, other translations and paraphrase have that encourage. This came up in our small group this week, the idea of encouragement, somebody who has the spiritual gift of encouraging people to give others boldness, to give others positivity and optimism that God is good and he is in control and it's going to be okay. Again, in this case, older women, but people who have more experience in life, being able to testify of God's goodness and his grace, and he helped me through this, and I, I had this trying time, or this happened in our family, or this sickness, or this death in our family, and the experience that you can draw on to share God's faithfulness in order to encourage others. Now, if you're going to train teach another translation has mentor the young women what does that mean needs to be true if you're going to train it you got to be doing it you have to be someone who is pursuing christ likeness but if it's true in your own life then you have credibility particularly you older women to pour into the lives of younger women 
who are in a different stage of life. Someone else pointed out that it's not just about teaching them what to do or even teaching them how to be, but even how to think, how to have the right attitude about some of these things in these verses. So the, the godly older women have a responsibility, he's saying, to admonish, to teach, to train, to mentor, to disciple. You, you pick your verb. The younger women and you'll see that a lot of this has to do with how to be a successful wife, how to be a successful mother, how to do what we normally think of as caring for the home. And the young women then would need to be receptive to that. They need to be willing to listen to that. So the way I see it, the older women have to make themselves available. What does that mean? That means just trying to be as practical as possible. They can't be so caught up in sports or hobbies or social media or the Hallmark Channel or whatever, whatever it is that you would be drawn toward that they don't have time in their schedule to invest in younger women. The younger women then have to be available as well. It can't be all about their children and their hobbies and their sports and their field trips and everything else. There has to be time. So th this really gets into our priorities, doesn't it? What do our lives look like? Are, are we so scheduled? And I, I'm talking, I know this is to ladies, but I'm talking to myself and, and our family, and we know what our limitations are and sometimes what our overcommitments look like. But if we don't have any time for this to happen, how are we going to obey it? There has to be some flexibility. Both groups have to have their priorities right in order for this to happen. So the older women have to be available, and the younger women have to be humble and teachable. It's a two-way street. What we're about to see are two commands to love. So as we see the structure of this, as we see some of the commitments, some of the responsibilities, these older women have influence in their own families, and, and on younger ladies. Love needs to guide that. Love needs to direct that. As younger ladies implement this, their influence needs to be filled with love. So here it says, love their ch husbands and love their children. Now this is unconditional love, but if, if you're thinking that those of you who are familiar with the Greek words under, this is not agape. I don't know of any command in Scripture to a woman to agape, anybody. Agape is the type of love that God has for us. It is sacrificial. It is committed love. It is the love that is absolutely necessary for a marriage to work. And it's the faithful, loyal love that God has toward us. That's not the term here. These are compound words with phileo. Because most of you ladies, I know you and, and just in general, ladies, they love, they serve. They do that naturally. They love their husbands. They love their kids. So the question this is asking, asking the command is, do you like them? That's a different question, isn't it? Because some of you may think, oh, yeah, my wife loves me, or, yeah, mom loves me. 
Does she like you? Not right now. Not after I spilled that on the rug. Not after I got home late from work again. Whatever. It, it's the familial, the brotherly type of love. But in this case, of wife to husband or of mother to children. So the command here is older women train the younger women how to love their husbands. What does that look like? There's nothing here to say based on his worthiness. Does he deserve your love? Does he deserve your affection? No. Let me just cut the chase. No, he doesn't. But it's not based on his worth. Is it because the kids are just so lovable today? No. It's something that, by God's grace, you ladies are going to do whether or not you feel like it, whether or not they deserve it, because they probably don't. But you're going to show them that type of kindness, that type of affection anyway. The next one is discreet. That is not a word that I use frequently. You probably don't either. I think the first thing that popped into my mind in reading that this week, there was a class, I didn't take it in school, but there was a discreet math. And I'm not even sure it's the same word. But that's not this. I assure you. The word is translated sensible in a couple of translations or self-controlled, and that's probably the, the most accurate, the easiest to understand here. We're talking about self-control. Being self-controlled in my thinking, being self-controlled in my speech, being self-controlled in my actions. And I know the term defines itself, but are we, are we understanding? It's that by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I am going to say no to the things I should. I'm going to say yes to the things that I should. That's self-control. It's not giving into the addictions that we are so prone toward. Because God made us to worship, right? We are worshipers. And in our most basic form, we are worshipers of us. We are worshipers of ourselves. So left to myself, I'm going to do what feels good, what tastes good. I'm just going to go after whatever pleases me. And that's why the scriptures say that when we come to Christ and find salvation in him, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Our old self has to die. You say, that's hard. Yeah. You say, that's harsh. Yeah, it is. But that's the Christian life. It's what we've been talking about in Mark. The discipleship involves suffering. Discipleship involves sacrifice. And yes, we will be repaid for those things in this life and in the next. But there is self-denial. Isn't that what Jesus said? Anyone who desires to come after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that's where we are right now, talking about self-control. David Jeremiah described it as removing any pattern of thought or behavior that could hinder your spiritual progress being willing to set it aside. Our men's group last Tuesday night just talked about the passage in Hebrews 12 of laying aside every weight in addition to the sin. Yes, obviously we need to say no to sin. We need to repent and turn from that. But even the good stuff that isn't the best stuff could be a weight that we need to discard. So here's some, some questions to think about. Consider carefully what you eat and how much you eat 
and what you drink and how much you drink and what you watch and how much you watch and what you say and how much you say how you spend your time how you spend your money do you tend to lose your temper quickly and discipline your children in anger or give your husband a piece of your mind on a regular basis all of these are areas that are affected by our self-control and in all of these areas I believe that having an older more experienced woman to talk to you younger women is a whole lot better God's designed a whole lot better than me trying to tell you about it or your husband trying to tell you about it or any other man trying to tell you about it God's design in building up the church and equipping the saints for the work of the ministry is for the older more experienced godly mature women to talk about these things to speak the truth in love kindly but to help and to guide and to encourage the next one is chaste that means pure that means morally pure that means pure of mind and heart Pure is one of those words that when it comes up in Scripture, pure or clean, we understand what that means. It's ivory soap, right? That's 99.44, okay. We're commanded in Scripture to be 100%. Now, if any of you are feeling overwhelmed, I can't do this. Yeah, I can't either. We must have the help of the Holy Spirit for this. And he will help us. Because God's will for us is to become more like Jesus, more like Christ, more like Christ. Being transformed from glory to glory until we breathe our last breath or until he snatches us to meet him in the air to become more like Jesus. Homemakers. Some other translations of that. Workers at home. Busy at home. Caring for the home. I realize this is not a popular idea. A lot of our society around us would say, you are wasting your life if you're changing diapers and cleaning house and such. Let's understand a couple things up front. One, it's not saying that a woman cannot work outside the home. What it's doing is settling priorities. There's no prohibition for working outside the home. It, it's a... It's a discussion of what are your responsibilities and what are the highest priorities for you. A parallel to this that he wrote to Timothy over in 1 Timothy 5.14 says, Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. I was very thankful for my wife, and even when we were talking, when we were dating, it was almost a foreign concept to me that she said, yeah, I, I, I really want to stay home when, if God gives us kids, I want to be home for them when they're little. And that was a foreign concept to me, not because my mom wasn't home when we were little, but my mom had worked. She had taught all my life. She taught only part-time until all of us were in school. But I was thinking, you mean you're not going to work at all? And then we saw that play out because we had one, all right, I got one person laughing there. Yes, she's going to work. I, I, I 
was listening to a sermon this week, somebody was referencing Mitt Romney's wife, and I had forgotten about this, but when he was running for president, everybody was all over her because she had never held a job. All she had done was stay at home and raise five sons. That's all she had done, guys. And, and the society around us says, what a waste. She has no life experience. Really? So Rochelle desired to be at home with the kids. So that was our plan. And she was able to work from home with child number one and then child number two. And by the time there were two, it was not going to happen. And so she took 10 years off and, and we did, she did a lot of diapers and then the homeschooling and other things. And it, it's not permanent, but it's a season. And the idea is the older women are going to teach the younger women that if the Lord grants you children, then while they're at home, then your priorities need to be God, husband, children, and tend to the home. That's what this homemaking idea is. The next one is good. Good, or the New American Standard says kind. And traditionally, this is a, a day where I'm sure many pastors are reading or preaching through Proverbs 31. But here's one verse from Proverbs 31. Verse 26 says, She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Kindness. And as I read this, I don't know if it struck you this way, several of these concepts overlap a lot with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is listed out in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So this goodness, this kindness, all these different ways to describe the manner of life, not just a personality, but a manner of life, a lifestyle for godly young women. And presumably, if they're going to train them, the older women in Christ. Then we have obedient to their own husbands. So if I haven't stepped in it yet, I am on thin ice here, I know, I know. So other translations have subject to their own husbands. Yeah, I don't know if we like that any better. Submissive to, well, that's a bad word a lot of places, right? So here are some other paraphrases. I, I wanted to look at a number of English translations and paraphrases to try to get at this in ways that don't have all these preconceived notions for us, that might not have all the same connotations as submit or obey. She puts her own husband first. She's willing to serve her husband, to respect the authority of her husband, to yield to her husband, to follow the lead of her husband. Warren Wiersbe put it like this, the husband is the leader of the home, so the wife must cooperate with his leadership. That at least gives you some different ways to see it, some different ways to think about it. It's supporting your husband's leadership role in the family. Now here I do want to point out a couple of things. One is that this is the order that God has set up in the home. Because as I read my Bible, go back to Genesis, and what does it say? That in the beginning God created male and female. 
And guess what? The male was made in the image of God. And you know what else? The female was made in the image of God. And they together show the image of God. So it's not that men are superior to women. That's not what this says. Furthermore, it says your own husband. So it's not saying that men are superior and women need to obey them. That's not what it's saying. I've shared this with you in the past when we've looked at the epistle of Peter and other places where the Bible talks about marriage. It's not that, but within the home, the order, the structure that God has set up is that the husband is the leader and the wife supports him in that leadership. And I think, based on this passage, based on common sense, that it's much easier for a young lady to hear that from an older lady than from another man or from her pastor or from her husband. What is the purpose of all this? So we have all these, we've gone through them, we've worked through, here's what an older woman is supposed to be, here's what an older woman is supposed to do, here's what a younger woman is supposed to be, what she's supposed to do. What's the point? It's not just that I needed something about women so that I could preach a Mother's Day sermon. What's the purpose? The purpose is that last phrase. The last phrase of verse 5 tells us, I think it's specific to the list he's just finished, but why all of this is here. These first 10 verses of Titus 2 says that the word of God may not be blasphemed, or maybe a more familiar word to us would be dishonored. That people would not think ill of God or his word because of our actions, because of our testimony of life. The purpose of godly conduct, this isn't just a checklist. It's not to make me feel good like, oh, I'm a good Christian. It's that others would think better of my Lord. That I'm living his way. That I'm doing things by his grace. I'm stumbling, I'm falling, I'm blowing it at times. But the trajectory is I'm becoming more like Christ. And I'm living according to his word. Why? So that others will see that difference in me. As I was reading some of these this week, the, the parallel over in one of Peter's epistles talks about that we are a, a peculiar people. Some of this probably seems pretty peculiar to our society around us. But it's not for the sake of, oh, let's just be different to be different. It's to be different to set it, be set apart to be holy because we're God's people and he wants us to look different from the world around us. Why? So that they'll be led to him, so that they'll see him, so that they'll see their need of him. That's the point of this, that the word of God may not be spoken against, that God and his word would be magnified, would be lifted up by what we say, what we do, what our homes look like. Is it a place of total chaos? Is it a place of husband and wife hate each other, kids hate each other, or is it something that, yeah, we, we have our issues, but by God's grace, we're trying to follow God's word. We're trying to pursue him together. And that's what's being described here. So rather than try to teach something about mothers particularly, or daughters particularly, or grandmothers or anything else, what I've tried to do is show you this, this one little paragraph in a larger section in Titus 2 of what 
ministry to and growth in your lives as women looks like. I'm going to leave it to you to figure out, am I an older woman or a younger woman? But then what's my role? And how do I make sure that I'm applying these to my own life? Because remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, I, I need to take care of what's in my own eye before I just try to help you. Same thing in Galatians, that those who are spiritual are supposed to restore someone who stumbled in a spirit of meekness and fear. This isn't Bob deputizing the older women of the church. I'm going to go tell you what's wrong with you and you and you. No, we're, we're doing this. We're sinners in need of God's grace, and we recognize that. And here's some of what he's worked on me about, and I want to share that with you. That's the goal of this, that we would all become more Christ-like. So back to those main points from the beginning. Our beliefs determine our behavior. Our behavior determines how the unsaved world views our beliefs. And what do we want? We want them to think well of our God, to think well of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. So that's my first question. What do you believe about Jesus? Whether you're watching online, whether you're here with us in the room, do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Have you called out to him, cried out to him to be your savior? If you've done that, I've said repeatedly, our beliefs determine our behavior. Does your life agree with what you claim to believe? If the Holy Spirit is pointing out some behavior that doesn't line up with what we've been studying this morning, what, you might, what might you be believing that's wrong? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Is your behavior reflecting Christ to the unsaved world around you? I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I don't pretend to be. But I would ask simply that if he's speaking to you today, that you would respond to him in obedience. If there's anything that he's pointed to in your life that needs to change, obey him. And that goes for the women in the room and the men in the room. We know that his word is powerful and it's profitable for us. Our Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for your word and how practical it is and how brilliant your plan for the church is. Lord, may we obey your plan that we would be encouraging one another to love and good works, that we would be discipling and mentoring as you've called us to do. And specifically from this passage, Lord, I pray that you would empower and equip by your Holy Spirit the older women in our congregation to encourage, to train, to mentor, and to disciple the younger women in our congregation, that we would see this played out as a priority, that we would make time for it, that we would be receptive to it, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.